Hi friends, welcome to the Incon Show. In today's special Aftershock series, I have with me Thomas Frey. Thomas is a world-renowned futurist, CSP, and founder of the DaVinci Institute. He has spent 15 years at IBM as an engineer and designer, where he received over 270 awards, more than any other IBM engineer, and he's also a past member of the Triple Nine Society. Thomas and I are collaborators to the newly released book, Aftershock, that captures the state of the world 50 years after Alvin Toffler wrote his bestseller book, Future Shock. Hi, this is Ian Khan, and welcome to the Ian Khan Show. Today, I have with me Thomas Frey, a world-renowned futurist, and um, and literally, he's he's one of the most amazing experts in the world today who can who can help understand the future. Now, Thomas is also a contributor to AfterShock, which I am a collaborator to as well. And my conversation with Thomas today is all about tomorrow. Thomas, welcome to the Incon Show. How are you today? Hey, thanks for having me on. It's my pleasure. Thomas, your work and your article in here in future in Aftershock is incredible. So Aftershock is a book where 50 different futurists of the world came together, provided some insight. And your piece about forging our relationship with the future is so, it's such a nice read and I've read it multiple times. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Thomas. Who is Thomas Frey? Um, well, uh, <laughs> I'm just a guy who thinks about the future a lot. So <laughs> I, I view my job as, as helping people understand what the future holds. And even if we can get just a slight bit better at understanding the future, that gives us such a huge advantage in, in the business world, in our relationships, in understanding how to uh, use the technology that's around us. All of those things become much much clearer as we move forward. And so I love to um, uh, kind of expand our thinking about this relationship we have with the future. Um, because most people don't think that we have a relationship with the future and most people don't think that, um, see I was uh, a human factors engineer at IBM and uh, that was the man machine interface. And so we spent a lot of time thinking about how we interface with devices and computers and programs and apps. Um, but we don't think much about how we interface with the future. Um, and that's, that's probably our biggest interface of all because we're, the future is coming at us uh, all the time, full force. We can't slow it down. We can't speed it up. It's coming at us at the same pace every day. And the better we get at understanding that, uh, uh, it, it creates such a huge advantage. And so I love getting into these discussions because they're so philosophical and esoteric and uh, hurt your head some of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right about it. There's, there's just way too much happening sometimes when you talk about the future. And, it, you know, but sometimes you really want to understand what, does dri what drives my tomorrow. What is it that I should do that, creates a better tomorrow. Now, this book, which is Aftershock, um, is incredible. It's, I think it's hitting the shelves soon. It's in pre-promotion right now. Um, and it will be on Amazon in the next few weeks or something. And I, I think it's priced reasonably well. I don't know what the, what the price is. I've looked at a majority of the articles in this book and the amount of insights that I'm getting and the amount of content in there is so relevant that 
I really believe this is like a Bible of futurists, for futurists, by futurists, for the rest of the world. Now, your article in particular talks about guiding our inner vision. It talks about resetting our, our calculus and three powerful ways our inner vision controls our lives. I want to ask you about how do people, as we, as people who live here on this planet, how do we control this tomorrow? How do we proactively create a future? I think these are some of the points that I want to talk to you about. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's, it gets to this point of you know, how much control do we have over the future? Um, if you ask this question of how does the future get created? Well, the future gets created in the minds of every, everybody around us. We all participate in creating the future, but certainly some of us have more influence than others. But I, I use this phrase quite a bit, the future creates the present. Now, this is just the opposite of what most people think. Most people think that what we're doing today is going to create the future, but from a little different perspective, it's these images of the future that we have in our head determine our actions today. So the key thing is, if we change our vision of the future, we change the way we make decisions today. And that is a, a profound statement because um, there are so many things going on. As, as we understand this new technology, as we understand what's coming down the pike and, and what com companies are introducing um, their product offerings, their, the way they're training their people, all of those things are going to affect us one way or another. And as we change this vision that we have in our head of the future, that changes the way we make decisions today. And, and so um, every talk that I do, that's one of my promises to the audience that I'm going to change their vision of the future. And, um, and so far nobody has said that I haven't. So we'll, see, we'll see if I, if I have a detractor sometime in the future. <laughs> no, absolutely. You, you bring uh, a lot of, uh, you know, you're a body of knowledge. You have a lot of insight into the future, especially given your work, what you've done uh, since the beginning of your career, you mentioned IBM. And uh, you are one of the very few people who hold a number of awards that have been awarded uh, to you within IBM. Is that correct? Um, yes. I, um, I was a recipient of over 270 awards in the 15 years that I spent at IBM, um, which just means I was really good at abusing all the systems that they had there. Uh, so, so, you know, if you're a person that has a lot of ideas, you tend to be a lot of work for everybody around you. And, and I was just a lot of work. Yeah. But that's incredible. I mean, you've done so much at in your, you know, the, the corporate life that you probably uh, lived in the past or worked for an incredible organization like IBM. But right now you you founded and you run the Da Vinci Institute. Tell me a little bit about the Da Vinci Institute. What do you do? The, what do you what do you offer as, as, as that institute? Yeah, at the Da Vinci Institute, we keep continually updating and changing our uh, business model, but we, we operate as a futuristic tank. And our mission is to look at the future and try to understand it in better and different ways. Um, now, one thing that we've, we've spent a lot of time trying to understand is this idea of, of collaborative workspaces. Um, so the, the idea of co-working and, and flexible office space and how people work together and, and how we can improve that, that, that has become uh, kind of a mission that's dear and, near and dear to my heart. 
we have roughly 39 mostly startup companies in our space right now. And uh, they're, uh, it's a rather eclectic group of companies and, and how they mix and get together and uh, how they interact is, is, is quite fascinating. Now, when I was at IBM, um, at the time, IBM was, oh, it was very insulated from the rest of the world. We had to go through turnstiles, use badges, lots of security. And we were so far away from everything else in the community. It was at least a 20 minute walk out to the car. And so nobody went out to lunch yeah. with people in the community. So our entire Rolodex um, existed of just other IBM people. Now, um, that can be good, it can be bad, but I, I felt when I left IBM, I was just so isolated from the rest of the world. I needed to find other people and that, and now this collaborative workspace is just exactly the opposite. Now, if I have a problem, I can just walk down the hall and ask questions and I'll get two or three different answers. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And I believe the, the collaborative um, workspaces are changing, first of all, the definition of work. It's, it's different to work in, uh, in a collaborative space. And it's also offering for startups and companies that, that just you know, don't want to be um, you know, grounded in one place, the ability to scale faster and rapidly expand. And I see that uh, a trend that's, that's really helping the younger generation, the newer entrepreneurs um, to, to establish a presence and to do uh, what they need to do best. Yeah, the, the, the background for that is that, you know, most landlords, the people who own the buildings still want people to sign five and 10 year leases. Correct. But most businesses have no clue where they're going to be even a year from now, let alone yeah. five or 10 years. So yeah. that creates room for a middle layer. And that's Absolutely. where the working flex space comes into play. Absolutely. I've got a couple of questions to ask you about the future and, and I might, might as well take on the opportunity to see um, right. what, can, what can we learn. Now, I want to talk about things that, are, that would maybe potentially create a huge impact for humanity, for us in, in, in terms of changing what we do. Right now in the world, we have a huge crisis of the coronavirus, as an example, the health outbreak that's uh, challenging governments, that's affecting travel, that's affecting economies. Uh, I mean, automobile industry is down, coffee industry is down, a bunch of different industries are down because consumption is being affected. There's a huge economic impact of something that has happened in the healthcare industry, and it's a global impact. We all are affected. What are your insights on the future of healthcare? Would we be able to maybe detect and avoid and eliminate and work on breakouts like this um, or, or other, other things that affect us globally now? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways to approach this question. Um, uh, are you familiar with the concept of digital twins? Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so if we have a piece of equipment and we add enough sensors and enough uh, indicators, then we can actually create a digital model of that, whether it's a tractor or a turbine in a power plant or a cruise ship, we can actually create a digital model of that and monitor everything that goes on inside that big piece of equipment. Now, if you translate that into the human body, it's only a matter of time before we put enough sensors on the human body so that we can actually create a digital twin of ourselves, And at some time in the future, a doctor will be able to remotely scan our body, scan what's happening inside and determine, or we, it's a, an AI doctor, will be able to 
determine what's going on and what um, uh, what's at fault. And that's going to uh, shortcut all of this distance right now between uh, the first symptoms and then actual detection of what's going on. Um, so reducing that time down to nearly zero um, is going to be a, a massive shift. But, um, you, know, you know, there's there's a couple things in the world right now that are just way out of whack with the rest of society, and it's healthcare and education. Now, because, because of that, I mean, just ask the average person on the street, and they say, wow, these are things that are way overpriced for what we're getting for. Um, so whenever that happens throughout history, this has happened a number of different times. Whenever that happens, the entrepreneurs in society are drawn to where the money is. And we have this beehive of activity going on around ed tech and health tech right now. And over the next 10 years, we're going to see the entire industry morph and shift and change in ways that we could never imagine. Um, now, I think this is, um, uh, I, I have no idea how exactly it's all going to change. I have some ideas, but it's, it, there's, uh, there's so much activity going on right now. It's, it's quite fascinating. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think it's the, it's, I, I wish technology evolved or emerged at a very linear pace. It's not happening that way. Yeah. There's just ups and downs. There's pockets of innovation, you know, on one hand, we're very futuristic and we can, you know, do all, all the things we need to do with our devices and cell phones. But on the other hand, about 2 billion people in the world live below the, you know, below a poverty line where they don't have access to basic healthcare, as an example, or even uh, a toilet. Um, more than a billion people don't have access to a toilet. And so there's this huge discrepancy between the modern world, the, the developed world, and the people who, who need help. Um, personally, I don't, I don't think this is a technological issue. It's more about adoption. It's more about how progressive governments are, where wars are happening, where political instability exists. Um, but that's the nature of the world we live in. And hopefully the future is brighter. I want to ask you about some trends in the future with respect to what are your favorite areas of the future where you, where you think we're going to make much more progress? Is it in um, the future of automobiles that, hey, we'll we'll have flying cars in the near future? Is it the future of mobility? Is it the future of healthcare, uh, the future of work? What are some of your favorites? Um, well, one that I spent quite a bit of work on in the middle of the night last night working on, uh, we're, we're going through this massive demographic shift in the world right now. And uh, a little over half of all the, the babies born in the world are born in six different countries. Um, over half of all the babies in the world are born in Angola, Congo, Ethiopia, Nigeria, Tanzania, and Pakistan. Now, this is shifting the demographics of the world in a huge way. Now, if I ask this question of out of every million people that are born, how many, how many Einsteins and how many Mozarts are born in every million people. And then I'll ask the question, can there be more and should there be more? Yeah. And so this idea of how do we optimize the world to take advantage of the new talent that's coming out of the woodwork, that's being born around the world, can we optimize uh, mankind 
to to truly transcend um, kind of this uh, this transition phase that we're going through right now yep. and become something more. And I think that becomes a ra rather fascinating question. I personally don't have the answer for that, but I uh, I love asking that question because we've been conditioned to think that well, there's a certain number of these true geniuses that will come out of the woodwork, but we have a grueling path right now to get there. Yeah. We're not good at training people. We're not good at predicting who these individuals are going to be. Um, they're the anomalies. Uh, can we get to a point where maybe 10% of the world are true geniuses, 20%, maybe even 50%? Yeah. If there, should we get there? Uh, and, uh, and then how does that change the world? So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And education and learning and, um, you know, there's the, the phrase you've got to unlearn and relearn, but it's, it's not, not just about the unlearning. It's about providing, being able to provide basic education and then the, the pathway to perhaps maybe get to the place where, uh, you can say, yes, education is happening at a, at a level where we, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, big challenge. Tell me a little bit about your insights on that. Yeah, we haven't got to the hyper-individualized education yet. We haven't got, uh, I think we're entering a phase now where we're going to create AI teacher bots that are going to teach us individually, teach us. So this AI teacher bot develops a relationship with you and you start learning things at a faster rate than ever before. It learns all of our idiosyncrasies, all of our proclivities, all of our personal key reference points, and when we're engaged and when we're not engaged. It'll know what skills we currently have and what skills we're missing and then how to bring us up to a new skill level. Yeah. And that's the, the type of thing that I think we can start engaging in. And I, I think we're right on the edge of that. And by 2030, my, predi my prediction is, is that the, the largest company in the tech world is going to be an education-based company that we haven't heard of yet. Um, because in my mind, that's the largest opportunity that's nobody's quite cracked the code for that yet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I completely agree. There's such a tremendous amount of opportunity. Uh, and you, you, you don't know within by 2030, you know, what will happen in the next few years. Uh, and because companies have fundamentally shifted from that traditional model of being a large company and then they've grown. Today, the, you know, the, the largest companies are less than 10 years old or five years old. And that's kind of the trend that's shaping uh, the enterprise uh, in general. Uh, I wish I could speak with you for the next six hours, but time is short. Time is short. And I want to ask, ask you a couple of short questions. Um, first one about, um, about Toffler. So we know uh, that Alvin Toffler, his wife Heidi Toffler, have had a profound impact on the world of futurism and the fu and futurists uh, in helping understand where where the future is, but in also finding a way to track the future. I think that's the the foundation they have provided. Uh, you've written a lot about in the in the book about uh, the influence they played on your life in the beginning of your uh, of your career. Uh, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. Um... Well, just just the idea that it's it's okay to talk about the future. I mean, <laughs> uh, I mean, as simplistic as that sounds, um, I mean this 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 idea that you just don't have to keep your nose to the grindstone all the time. Um, 
I, I still think one of my biggest influences in life was the Jetsons um, that came out in 1962. Now, the thing I didn't know about the Jetsons was it was intended to portray life in 2062, um, which, which was actually quite cool. Now, I was asked by the Arconic Corporation to work on recreating the intro to the Jetsons. <coughs> now, they wanted to use this as a marketing promotion. They wanted to, based on our understanding today of what 2062 holds, how would we go about recreating the intro to the Jetsons? And there was four of us that were consultants on that. And, and then they brought in um, uh, one of the Hollywood filmmaker, Justin Lin, to, uh, to create that. And so you can find that on YouTube, and it's actually quite fascinating. But the whole thing is, uh, it drives back to the point that our understanding of the future is continually changing. And, and the Tofflers did a really good job of, of kind of making the world aware that if we understand the future just a little bit better, we can create a much, uh, much more inviting world ahead. And, uh, and I think that was, uh, it sounds very simplistic, but that was one of their, their biggest uh, contributions to society. Absolutely. Uh, Thomas, tell us how people and our viewers can find more about you and your work. Where should they go? Yeah, just go to futuristspeaker.com. Uh, they can find more there or davinciinstitute.com. Uh, read about some of the stuff that we're doing there. All of my papers I post on futuristspeaker.com on the blog. So there's uh, well over 400 papers that have written on, I've written on every topic from um, the future of 5G to the future of AI to um, should we gamify citizenship. Uh, there's, there's a lot of fun stuff. That's incredible. Thomas, thank you so much for being part of uh, this podcast. Um, again, for all the viewers, uh, Aftershock is available on Amazon.com. You can buy it and check it out. Uh, Thomas has written a really insightful article. It's there. It's in there. So read it, uh, learn about what's going on, and, and hopefully be part of the futurist thinking community. Uh, everybody can be a futurist, but you've got to be able to, I believe, uh, think in a particular direction. And this book is an amazing resource. Thomas, thank you so much for being part of this podcast. I love your ideas, your content, and the inspiration that you provide to all of us out, out there in, in, in the world. Thank you so much. And um, we'll continue okay. talking to you in the future. Thank you. And just remember, the future favors the bold. The future favors the bold. I love that. Thank you, Thomas. <laughs> With that thought, the future favors the bold. Thank you so much, everybody. And you take care. All right. Thank you. Hey friend, this is Ian Khan. If you liked what you saw on my video, then please subscribe to my YouTube channel and be inspired every single day with innovative content that keeps you fresh, updated, and ready for the future. For more information, also visit my website at iankhan.com.